Well, good evening, everyone. It is so good to see all who are uh, with us tonight. If you would be going ahead and getting your Bibles out and be turning to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading a couple passages from there uh, here in just a moment. And as you're turning there, I want to join in the welcome and kind of echo what Josh had to say. That it's, It is very encouraging to see you all here on a, on a Friday night, knowing that you could be doing uh, other things, but you've chosen to be here with us at Lakeside, and, and that means a lot to uh, the members at Lakeside, it means a lot to me, and uh, boy, do we have some full pews tonight. That's amazing. <clears throat> it's making me very nervous. I want. <laughs> I may not make it with this coat on all the way through. <clears throat> I do want to say a special thanks to to my my family that have come here, uh, and and some friends from from Southside. My my parents, my sister, and and her family, and and I see some longtime friends uh, back there in the back row as well who all drove two hours uh, to be here, drove two hours to hear a sermon that <laughs> is not even going to come close to that length. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hope your time wasn't wasted. My dad's here, who uh, has preached for, for somewhere around 25 years uh, in Bowling Green at the Parkway Church of Christ, and, and my mom with him, who has put up with him much longer than that. So, <clears throat> bless her heart. I am thankful for all of you. And I hope you're here in anticipation of, of studying the Word of God as we begin a series of studies branching from Hebrews chapter 4. And over the next few nights, some of the best men and friends that I have met in my life will be standing before you to present material from the Word of God that will completely tie in our focus for this meeting to walk worthy of your calling. So I hope your Bibles are ready there at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're going to read this to get started off with. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Before I get into the exact topic I will be focusing on, I want to pause at a phrase in that first verse that helps us preface what we will be what will be talked about as a whole throughout this meeting and that is the phrase walk in a manner worthy we think of worth and we generally understand it as as the value placed on something which is kind of like saying it is deserving or suitable for what is offered uh what is offered or, or asked or compared against it is the same principle here <clears throat> it is a walk deserving of or suitable for the calling and to further that just a little bit more, it's also from the worked, uh, root term of worthy that we get the word axiom or axiao, which is to say self-evident or unquestionable. So this is a suitable walk that will unquestionably show who we are in following Christ. A walk that must be taken in all humility and gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. It's a walk each of us must continually work at in our individual lives toward each other uh, and, and kind of more specifically in regards to this series toward our brothers and sisters in Christ in order to build unity. That being prefaced, my goal tonight is not to talk about each of those walks, but I am going to talk about a portion of this reading dealing with walking in humility. I'm going to go ahead and let you know there is nothing that I feel qualifies me to handle this topic. I cannot give it my own definition or standards, uh, which is exactly why we are going to let the Bible do the instructing. And I'm just here to present some thoughts based on just that. 
But I would like to begin our focus on that walk by first covering what humility is not. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 23? Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 7 here. Matthew 23, 1 through 7. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flactories broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. You know, here we have men who likely could have had great potential because they were educated and they were able to teach. But the problem was the heart. Their heart was far from right. Jesus tells the crowds and disciples, observe these men, do what they tell you, but do not look to their own actions. You know what kind of men these are today? They're the kind that give Christians a bad name. And and often, excuse me, often the kind that call themselves uh, Christians, they promote Christianity, but all along the while they want nothing more than the publicity, the money, the influence, the, the associations, the recognition, or the power. It's the voice that speaks out, promoting good deeds and ideas, but somehow they never contribute to the actual work to make it happen. Now, how do we feel about that? Well, let's be honest with ourselves. Sooner or later, that voice becomes ineffective. Jesus calls these in verse 13, just a few passages later, and time and time again, Woe to you, you hypocrites! In verse 16, blind guides. In verse 17, blind fools. And Jesus points out some things about these men, such as the changes of their garments. You know, we talk about modesty and often we tend to relate it only to some sort of insufficient clothing. While modesty certainly does apply to that, it's also much more. Modesty is a reflection of the heart in word and deed, inwardly and outwardly. This means a person who is boastful, arrogant, or overly opinionated can be considered immodest. A person who wears revealing, seductive, seductive, scant clothing is considered immodest. And a person who wears clothing accessorized with intent to draw attention can be considered immodest. And we see that today through a lot of celebrity figures and even in the religious world with some televangelists adorning themselves in attire just as 1 Timothy warns against. These men had no modesty in the appearance, and and that is reflective of the immodesty in the heart, because the intention was to stand out for attention. Jesus goes on to say, they love the place of honor at feast. This would be a position that that eyes would be drawn to primarily, likely to to receive the best kind of of service, portions, or, or recognitions. And they love, they love the greetings in the marketplaces, the sense of prestige that they would get being called rabbi. They enjoy everything about it because it's it's center stage. It's spotlight. Do we know people like this? They People who have words without deeds. People who seem more intent on drawing attention to themselves as opposed to the Word of God. Well, of course we do. Sadly, some of these have been publicized as the face of Christianity. It's no wonder that many have misconstrued ideas of what true Christians really are. 
I want to look at another example in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> this is such a great example to us in the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and although familiar to many of us, let's refresh our memories. Reading Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 13. Luke 18, 9 through 13. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I want to ask you something. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone when the words, I'm glad that's not me, have come out of your mouth? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say that it's wrong of us to say those things, but generally, what do we tend to be hinting at? At least I didn't make that mistake, or at least I didn't say those things. And we say it sometimes as if the things we say and do are always more righteous. It is easier than we think to be the person who compares his own deeds to others' deeds. And we justify or, or promote ourselves constantly, intentionally and even unintentionally. We measure our successes against others' successes. We measure our status, our standards, and even our rights and wrongs according to what we think they need to be measured. For some reason, we allow ourselves to justify our actions using those standards. The standards have been set as to what we are to measure ourselves against. We don't decide what is fitting in our own eyes. We don't have the right to gloat or glory in ourselves what we do over others. That made a thought come to my mind when I was going back over this parable, and that is, do you think God, you know, the the all-knowing, all-powerful God, really needs to be told what kind of person you are or aren't? We may not come right out and say things exactly like this Pharisee does in this parable, but we can be guilty of talking of things in a similar nature, such as gossiping or backstabbing, problem and drama seeking. And those who, when they speak out like this Pharisee, they give out that vibe of a a holier am I. And all that does is causes friction rather than unification. And do you know where that comes from? Do you know what spawns problems like we see in Matthew and Luke with these passages? It is the very foundation of every opposing force against humility, something that exists at the heart of sins. It is an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-exaltation, self-importance, of contempt and indifference, of arrogance and self-righteousness. It's something called pride. Here's the peculiar thing about pride. I think it's easy for us to have a preconceived idea about what kinds of people are prideful. The reality is pride can work in any of us at any time, regardless of the circumstances. Consider the story back in 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26. We won't be reading the entirety of that chapter But we will look at a couple of verses here. In 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah was next in line to become king. And he was only 16 years old, verses 1 and 3 tell us. But notice especially verses 4 and verse 5. 
Verse 4 and 5 of Second Chronicles 26 says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now to this point, it sounds like a very good start to this young king's rule. Uzziah in the following verses goes on to do some pretty amazing things. He was successful with the Lord's help against the Philistines. He built towers and fortified them. He had vineyards and he had farmers. He had great men of valor. He had a powerful army. He was able to build machines with the help of skillful men to protect his walls and protect his people. And the Lord was with him through all of that. Yet verse 16 tells us something changes. It says, but when he was strong... He grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Pride entered his heart. You know what makes this so relatable is that we read stories like this, and, and or maybe we see movies like this where people have achieved great things in their life with the help of God or their friends or their family. And then... One day comes along and they become so engulfed in their own achievements that they forget about and lose everything and everyone that helped them get there in the first place. You see, our focus becomes blurred by what we begin to count our own successes and achievements as a result of our own unaided work. And yes, even some of the men we consider to be strong in the faith can become lost in their pride such as the apostles in Luke 9.46. You don't have to turn there, but this is where they were arguing about who the greatest among them was. That's what pride can do to a man. You know, the book of Proverbs, written by the wisest man to walk this earth, was has a lot to say about pride. And I'm going to read off a few of those verses for you. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. And this one should be very familiar. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I would think we need to take heed to some words of a very wise man there in understanding what difficulties and what challenges and what dangers lie ahead with pride. So through these examples and passages that we have read, it's pretty clear to see how pride can play such a role against our service to God. And that leads me to believe that we can have a stronger walk in humility by training ourselves in ways to defeat pride. Now, in order to do that, we have to accept that we all face that very real danger of how pride can be a virus in our lives, that it could work in and through us, And that if we don't cure it, we're going to wind up infecting others. So for the second portion of tonight's lesson, using the greatest example we have in Scripture, Jesus Christ, I would like to propose to you a a 3S plan, if you will, that will help us defeat pride and better practice our walks in humility, both individually and with each other. And the first of those being to submit. Submission is not a natural response. Having to rank ourselves below someone, to subject to them, to obey them, it takes the power out of doing our own will and places it into the desire of doing their will. 
But everything we do to become obedient to God requires submission. <coughs> Excuse me. We want to subject ourselves to God through Jesus Christ. If you would, we're going to be looking at two passages that are going to tie in together. Uh, the first being in Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Keeping that in mind, I want you to flip a few pages back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 now. 1 Corinthians 15, looking at verses 20 through 28. 15, 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. Jesus submitted in all things. Everything that has been done was to the fulfilling of the will of His Father in heaven and was done so even to the point of death on a cross. Christ is not just a example. He is the example. And we are supposed to model our lives after the life He lived. Do we read passages about Christ boasting of His power uh, and magnificence? Do we read how Christ used His power to, to take anything and everything that He wanted just at a snap of the fingers? Certainly Christ could have, but He submitted. And just as we read in His prayer, or just as we read in His prayer before the crucifixion, nevertheless, not, not my will, but thine be done. The Father's will. So our submission must be reflective of Christ's submission, and it must be voluntary. It is a submission to all things the divine word has instructed us to submit to. And it is a submission that should exist regardless of the physical consequences, whether we are treated fairly in it or not. After all, when we think about it, Christ certainly was not treated fairly. The apostles were not treated fairly. Men of renowned faith were not always treated fairly. But what did they continue to do? They continued to submit to the Father. So we too must submit to God, and we submit to Him in obedience, and in prayer, and all we do in life. And this will strengthen us in the fight against pride. Furthermore, it is this attitude of submission that underlies servanthood, and thus the ministry of believers to outsiders and to one another in the church. Which brings me to the next S, which is, I'm missing my clicks, aren't I? Which is to serve. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, the mother of of the sons of Zebedee asked Jesus if her sons could sit 
one on the right hand and, and one on the left hand of Jesus and his kingdom. And, and the other apostles uh, became indignant of this issue. But I want you to see what Jesus says in verses 26 through 28 of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever should uh, would be first among you must be your slave. This is kind of a hard thing to grasp, that in order to be great, we must become a servant. Now, we often reflect on that word, that word slave, and it is just this horrible association in our minds, some terrible position. But I don't think we need to mistake, and the title of servant is, is greater than some of us can imagine, for it categorizes us with men of great faith and renown. After all, Abraham was a servant, Genesis 26, 24. Joshua was a servant, Joshua 24, 29. King David, Isaiah, and Jesus the Christ was a life of a servant. Philippians 2, 7 tells us that it says Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And who are we to serve? Galatians 5, 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another, how? Humbly, in what? In love. There is great humility shown in serving others. And it requires us to be genuinely interested in what others' needs are, especially spiritually, and how we can assist in those needs. Acts 20.35, if you recall, says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think that you'll find in giving... And serving, you will still receive even a greater reward. Serving is how the work will be carried out. As we serve the Lord, we learn to serve each other. And thus, it in turn creates teaching opportunities. I tried to avoid borrowing from a a recent lesson we had on serving, but it's just it's just too good not to use. If you'll turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17 here. John 13, 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus himself takes the form of the lowliest servant in washing the disciples' feet. And in so doing, he taught them a lesson of humility. And this is a lesson and example that we now have to reflect on and to look to for guidance as to how our hearts should be toward one another. Every step Jesus took was a sacrificial one, which is why we're going to talk about the third S, sacrifice. Josh told me this the other day, and I'm glad that I could remember it, and I hope I remembered it right. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, which means this is a sacrifice of self. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. I know we've been in Philippians already, but Philippians chapter 2, again, 
This time looking at verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I hope you take a special note of verses 3 and 4 especially. We tend to place a pretty high value on ourselves at times. And just as we saw in the reading in the beginning of the lesson with that example, we refuse to accept sometimes that things we want in life come at a cost. Other times we accept the cost regardless of the spiritual impact that may come. In submitting our will to God, we must accept that it comes at a cost. We already saw that in the part of, of, of that role of serving others. We will make sacrifices monetarily, physically, mentally, and of time. Take, for example, the submission and the sacrifice exemplified by the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 here, we see just a wonderful thing. 4, 18 through 22 says, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. How many of you can say that if you were called in such a manner, you would be able to drop everything you had going on, leave everything you knew behind without hesitation, and just go? Leave a home that may be the only home you know, friends, family members? Now, this happens, maybe in a little bit different way, and we see this happen sometimes, with, especially with people uh, who, are, who are converted from the world and they become followers of Christ. There's often more than meets the eye of, of what is happening in that person's life. You see, I take people like that for granted. I didn't grow up in a home with family away from Christ. But these folks, well, some of them had to lose family. Some had to face ultimatums. And yet, what did they do? They dropped their nets and followed Christ. That's a sacrifice. And there should be sacrifices we make that truly cost us. And that doesn't necessarily always mean monetarily. Cost is relative. Time is a cost. Physical deeds are a cost. It is a choice we make even when we have things we can do for ourselves, but we put that aside and we help someone else. Now this doesn't directly necessarily apply to this point, but it is a funny little insert. I've always loved doing for others. And there's a lot of joy in helping people accomplish their goals or to be a part of those successes with them. The problem is I, I tend to schedule myself to help people to the point where I may not get to the stuff that is requested at home. And my wife gives me a hard time. When she needs something built or fixed, well, she knows I can do that. But sometimes I fix other people's problems before that. So one day my neighbor came to me and she said, your wife asked me to ask you to make a table for me so that she could have it. 
She said, if I asked you, you'd get it done faster. (coughs) It's true. Helping others is truly gratifying. And oftentimes you wind up building up your relationships with those people because you can talk about spiritual things. Just ask any of the five guys that are going to stand up here tonight or this weekend. We've all done something together along the way where I guarantee some sort of scripture was brought up that encouraged us or that we talked about. Helping, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sacrifice is, is an everyday occurrence. I want to look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is going to sound like a ridiculous question, but are you living? I hope you say yes, otherwise this is going to be very awkward. Would you consider yourself to be a living sacrifice? That implies that that every day... With every step and every breath, you are an example of a follower of Jesus Christ. And after all, what we need to keep in mind is that that what we have and who we are, we owe to Him. We are nothing without what He did for us. He was the ultimate sacrifice, the greatest to walk this earth in humility, and He sacrificed Himself so that we may live having a hope of eternal life. Josh and I were talking about a passage the other night that fits in really well with the daily part of walking in humility. And it ties in to all three of the points that, that we've talked about. Certainly, it ties into the whole lesson. But I do want to look at that. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5. Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, Peter's addressing the elders, and here in verse 5, he writes something that applies not just to elders, but to all of us. Let's go, let's look at verses 5 and actually verse 6 as well. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Notice this part. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you that little phrase clothe yourselves with humility now we can tie back into what we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon when when we were talking about being modest is is humility an article of clothing well the answer is obvious no that's a no but we can say that it is a reference to how we should be clothed we wear clothing every day or hopefully you do but if we are not putting on humility in our daily walk, then we are clothed improperly. Are we walking in a manner reflective of a modest and humble heart? Are we submitting to others in humility? Are we serving others in humility? And are we sacrificing what needs to be sacrificed to better glorify God? When we come here, we come here to do all three of these things. And we need to be fully covered in that humility from head to toe. Now, I want to close by telling you something. From the day that Josh McKibben came up to me and said, since you're signed up for Friday night, do you realize, you do realize that you're covering humility? I had some major concern. Going into the lesson, I didn't really have an idea where to start. I didn't have an idea of where it would go. 
But the more I read, the more I wrote, the more I realized just how good and powerful and humbling going over these passages are. Remembering what Jesus and men of faith went through to achieve what was achieved. And I feel so humbled as well to reflect on who we serve and why we are able to serve him in our individual lives and together in unity. And as with most things regarding the word of God, I'm reminded that having the right people with the right minds helping to guide you the right way helps you achieve any profitable spiritual goal if the Lord has been put first in all those things. And that is why we are here. And that is why we should be practicing these qualities daily with one another. In this, we will build up one another, growing, abounding, and unifying in the work of the Lord. And so my question is, brothers and sisters and friends, is this a pattern which you will follow? Will you put God first in all things? If you're a child of God, but you have realized perhaps you have built up a a haughty spirit, a prideful life, you may find that in admitting to those wrongs, you will be lifted higher. If you're not a child of God, will you choose to accept Him into your life? Will you lower your walls of pride, tear them down, the the walls of, of arrogance and disbelief? And will you accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who you will not choose to serve forevermore? Now is the time to correct any of those things, and you can do that as we stand and as we sing.